Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. It's, this is the first, the first Sunday in the new year. So um, have you all had a good time over the Christmas season? Has it been good to you? Yeah, good. Back to, back to work now, or back to our normal daily routines. But we're ready for this new year ahead, yeah? And we're going to start 2024 with a new sermon series called Jesus Said on the teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. It's a great reminder as we, as, as we start the journey of a new season. To, it's a great reminder of just who it is that we profess to follow, what he teaches us and requires of us, and to remind ourselves of our, of our compass and our direction. So, the first thing that we're going to explore in this series is what Jesus said about loving others. And we're going to be looking at what Jesus says in Luke 10, 25 to 37. But before we get on to reading, I wonder what we think of when we say love. Love. What does it make you guys think of? What do you think of when we say love? Serving people? What else do we think when we say love? Selflessness. Selflessness. Yeah? Anything else? Sacrifice, yeah. And relationships. Yeah, there's lots of things. There's lots of things when we say love, and there's lots of things that are the right answers, but there's also other associations in our, our minds, no doubt, as well. For Jesus, love is so central. It's the heart of his ministry. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, love enemies, even. And we see through his life that love is definitely an action and not just a feeling. We see throughout his ministry that he's consistently loving others by drawing them into his father's kingdom, which is governed by love. And this looks like people being made aware of the great love God has for them through being healed and released and restored and saved, forgiven, their lives set right, their identity as loved and accepted children of the most high God re-established. And you know, he invites us to join him with that. You know, what an exciting invitation. And wouldn't it be great if we all just did what Jesus did? You know, the world would be a different place indeed, wouldn't it? So what's stopping us? What is stopping us? You know, Jesus is my saviour and my Lord. He motivates and inspires me to try and live as he lived, to show love as he showed love. But even though that's what I really try to devote my, my life to, the reality is, is that I can sometimes feel that I fall short in the loving people department. I can, at times, not always, but at times, I can feel overwhelmed by the needs of people in front of me. And sometimes when I'm feeling particularly low in energy, it can feel like hard work to constantly be patient and kind and find solutions to problems and help people out. On my own, my heart is way, way too small. But you know... We all have people who have inspired us along the way on in our walk into Christ-likeness. And 
one of the people who's really inspired me to love others and bring God's kingdom in, particularly when I was a young Christian in in the 90s, when I was in my 20s, was someone called Heidi Baker. Back in 1995, she and her husband, Roland, moved to Mozambique in order to bring a new, begin a new ministry focused on the, the care of orphaned and abandoned children. It was such a huge task. And once there, she very quickly became overwhelmed by the scale of the problem that she felt led to tackle. But you know, there are two things that the Lord said to her that have stuck with me that I return to when I feel overwhelmed. The first is, she says, God says there is always enough. The resources, the physical, spiritual, emotional resources to help people don't come from us. They come from the Lord's abundant heavenly resources. And secondly, she said, just stop for the one. Stop for the one in front of you today. And the passage we're going to look at today sees Jesus telling a story about just that. So we're going to turn, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn to Luke 10, 25 to 37. We're going to have it up, though, on the screen. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, what, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled where he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, so hands up. Who has heard that story before? Uh-huh. Okay. So, it's a story we know well, and it is often retold by preachers replacing the people in the story with types of people that we could know and understand and relate to. So, I've heard this story told in so many different ways. I've heard it told where um, the Samaritan became a punk rocker rescuing a businessman back in the 80s. I've heard a Manchester United fan rescuing a Leeds United fan or an Irish Republican being rescued by an Ulster Orangeman. And this raises the question, 
of who would be the characters in this story to me or to you. Who would they, who would they be to you? In other words, which people group do you personally most struggle with naturally feeling any kind of love towards? You know, maybe a people group whom you've struggled to love because of an unpleasant history with your own people. You know, what would make us wince a bit and be uncomfortable? Because you see, this seems to be exactly what Jesus intended. Those of us who have heard this story preached before will know that the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. And therefore, the fact that the Samaritan is the good person in the story, not the priest or the Levite, was a huge challenge to those who were listening to Jesus at the time. But you know, what I really want to look at today is the heart of the matter. We are going to look at what was at the heart of the expert in the law who asked the questions. What was at the heart of those in the story? And what does this mean for our own hearts? So we're going to start with the the expert of the law. So let's look at the heart of the question that is asked to Jesus um, at the start of the story today. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Firstly, this expert in the law is asking what he should do, an action. And Jesus allows him to answer his own question. He knows the answer, love God and love others as yourself. It's the answer Jesus gave when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love, we've understood, is an action, not simply a feeling. But the lawyer wants to justify asking the question everyone knows the answer to. In his heart, he wants to justify himself and try to catch Jesus out. It says he was testing Jesus, doesn't it? But of course, we know that in the end, Jesus catches him out and challenges him and the very heart of his interpretation of the law. You know, it's quite telling that he uses the word inherit, Because in order to inherit something, you have to be an heir. And an inheritance is a birthright. It's not something you can kind of work out. So his question is a little bit contradictory in the first place. You know, this whole being and doing thing. And you wonder, does his choice of words imply that the lawyer is thinking an answer for Jewish people only through uh, who through Abraham are God's chosen people? Is he wanting Jesus to confirm his, his own legal definition of Israel? Or maybe he's goading Jesus to produce a heretical answer about God's plans for the whole world. In other words, is he asking Jesus if his neighbor, the people he should love, are people like him? Should I just demonstrate love to people like me, the chosen few? Jesus, who as we know, is the key to eternal life, does give an answer about the wide-reaching grace of God. But rather than being heretical, he provides an answer with the true fulfillment of the commandment, which the lawyer claims to regard as vital. He gets right down to the heart of the matter. You see, this parable is all about what is in people's hearts, what leads these characters and motivates them to act as they do. And firstly, we know that the man left for dead at the side of the road is avoided by both the priest and the Levite. They both passed by on the other side. But why did they do that? Why wouldn't they help the man? 
How could they justify in their own hearts not taking decisive action to help someone so obviously in need? Well, it seems that the bottom line is is they just didn't have the compassion in their heart to help him, or, or surely they would have done. But how could they justify that as men who represented God? I think probably these two were very in tune with what was considered spiritually clean or dirty in their lives. They were guided by rules about who they could associate with and who they couldn't associate with. Women? No. Lepers? Certainly not. Someone who may actually be dead? I don't think so. You see, these two religious men don't want to pollute their spiritual purity by touching what could be a dead body. According to the rules of spiritual cleanliness of their religion, that would mean they would be spiritually unclean and they would have to go through a series of rituals to be made clean again and that would take time and effort before they could continue their duties in the temple. So to these two men, what they do with regard to the religious practices they've inherited, is what makes them holy. And therefore, maintaining their version of holy purity becomes a matter of personal religious pride. It's more important to them than helping the man in need and bearing the unclean consequences of that. You know, if we know Jesus, then we know that this is the type of religiosity that he despises and constantly criticizes. And you know, these two will have dutifully followed all the religious rules that they knew in order to be holy. They have said the best prayers. They've practiced Sabbath properly. They've paid their due tithes. They've sung the right worship songs, listened to the most well-qualified teachers, the best podcasts, so to speak you know, gone to church every Sunday, read their Bible every day. They have done everything they think they need to do in order to be holy, to inherit eternal life. But when it comes to the crunch, when it comes to love, the heart of the matter, they are not good neighbors. They don't demonstrate the love that for Jesus underpins everything about who God is, his very character. How can we profess to follow a God who is love without that spilling out into all other aspects of our lives? You know, we become what we worship. And if for this Levite and this priest, their purity is more important than helping a desperately injured man, maybe they're actually worshipping the religious trappings of the temple, the practices that have become habitual for them, rather than the true, living, loving God that they profess to worship. Their religious practices have, in fact, become their idols. How otherwise could they be so out of touch with the heartbeat of God? How could they miss what their prophets have been proclaiming for hundreds of years about helping those in need, the poor and the hungry and the oppressed. However, the Samaritan, who we understand, according to the Jewish thought of the day, has all the wrong religious practices in worshiping God. He doesn't pray in the right way or in the right place. He doesn't do holy things right. Well, when he sees the man close to death, he took pity on him. 
He acts out of a heart of compassion. And the way the story is told, there's no hesitation there. He sees someone in need and immediately attends to him, pouring out his own resources, not just time and attention that the holy men were unwilling to give, but material resources, his oil and his wine to clean the wounds, his own donkey to carry the man to the nearest town, his money to ensure the man continues to get the help he needs to fully recover when he moves on. And you know, for me, <laughs> who can all too easily feel like solving one's pro- someone's problems is all down to me, it's really assuring, reassuring that the Samaritan passes this man's care onto someone who's better qualified to look after his needs long term. You know, but, but in all of this, the point is, is that for the Samaritan, this is not a half-hearted attempt motivated by a sense of guilt or duty to at least stop and make sure he doesn't die. It's an all-in act of compassion that will assure the man's full recovery. This is a, a, a pure sacrificial act of love. And sacrificial love, as you told me earlier, is what Jesus is all about. So what is this story saying to us today? How does he challenge us? I wonder, does this story make us consider what is at the heart of our own good deeds or even our own religious practices? Does it make us consider perhaps whether we'll walk into some situations where we feel our our holiness will be polluted in some way in order to save someone? Are there types of people that we would find it hard to go to, to show love to, to help save because we feel... Christians shouldn't be associating with those sorts of people? Where are our hearts in all of this? Are they filled with compassion like Jesus' own heart? Do we sometimes struggle with that? Are there times when, like me, your heart can feel a bit dried up and helping others can become overwhelming or a bit too much? You know, When we search our own hearts before the Lord, we can indeed, I'm sure, compare ourselves at times, for better or worse, with the priests in this story, or likewise with the Good Samaritan. But also, you know, I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel like the man who's been robbed and beaten up and is lying in the road. And through the Samaritan in this story, Jesus shows us a type of sacrificial love he gives to us if we'll accept his help. He will always stop for us. He will always tend to our wounds, pour out his holy resources, his oil of healing, his wine, which represents the blood of covenant and sacrifice. He will carry us to a place of rest and recovery. He will spend from his own heavenly resources what is required to bring us back to full and abundant life again. And you know, it's only by turning to the Lord, who's the source of love, an unending well of love and joy and compassion, that we have any chance of continuing to give out ourselves. It's only through his heart that we can refresh our own, be filled up through the Holy Spirit and rehydrated, saturated even, so that we naturally just overflow with his love and his compassion. Are you sometimes tired and weary? Do the needs of others sometimes feel a bit overwhelming? Would you walk by the man on the roadside because you don't have the capacity 
to deal with him right now. Sometimes, friends, we respond to the needs around us not out of love and compassion, but out of a sense of duty and doing what's right. And, you know, it's important to do what we've been commanded to do. But if we always try to do that in our own strengths, our own self-righteousness even, we very quickly run dry. We need to keep returning to the source of love and compassion in order to ensure that we're giving out of the abundance of what God gives us, not out of our own meagre resources. We, we too soon dry up. God has promised that he will give us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from you, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. Isn't that exciting? He's a source of life for our hearts of stone. He's a source of, source of love when our hearts went dry. It's him to whom we must turn. It's the Lord who changes hearts through his very act of sacrificial love. He made a way to remove the compromise and barriers and defences we put up to protect our own hearts. You know, we can be so beaten up and robbed by our own sin and indeed the sins of others against us, that we can end up sealing up and protecting or hardening our hearts so that they don't flow with love as they were designed to do. The Lord has made a way to remove all of those many complicated consequences of sin from our own hearts because by dying on the cross, he offers a way, the way to full restoration and healing, to be able to be fully loved without fear and of hurt and rejection he made a way for us to come to God who is love himself and be healed and restored so our own hearts can work again properly as they were designed to do, which is to be filled up with love to overflowing, overflowing to those around us. Jesus is the source of never-ending heavenly resources, not us. And he doesn't ask us to solve the whole world's problems or even our whole neighborhood's problems here he just asks us to stop for the one. You know, will we stop for the one? Should we just pray? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you come now and fill us again with your love? And, you know, I'd like us all to just put our hands on our hearts right now because we all even if we receive some degree of healing, we all have hurts and we all have broken hearts. Lord, would you heal our broken hearts and restore them? Would you come now and heal our hearts, Lord? Would you give us a heart for those who are not like us, for those in need, for those who are desperate for an experience of a loving and tender God in their lives, those who are lost and hurting and broken? Renew in us your Heart, Lord, fill us with your love that we might overflow in love to those around us. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. 
Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.